Hi, this is Debony Morgan. Welcome to The Spirit of Now, Zeitgeist's podcast talking with spiritual leaders and thinkers who are breaking new ground. And today we certainly have one of those. That's Dr. Jerome Luba. He's referred to as the patient doctor because it was his own quest for neurological well-being that led him to specialize in complex, unresolved neurological cases. His practice explores how functional neurology, neuroplasticity, and the tools like the Enneagram can improve holistic well-being. Dr. Jerome created and released the first ever neuroscience-based model of the Enneagram in his book, The Brain-Based Enneagram, You Are Not A number. He's going to be leading a workshop for us at Zeitgeist, talking about his whole identity profile and how we're overlaying neurology with the Enneagram and what that means to us as we look at our entire identity. So welcome, Jerome. Thank you so much. I think I might just take that that intro and use it for the rest of the the podcast. I get the pleasure of being on. That was amazing. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Oh, you are very welcome. So give us some more background about what led you to study neurology in the first place. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. They don't, you don't go to your high school guidance counselor uh, as an immigrant refugee kid from Africa, um, which we immigrated in the early 90s from Congo to the U.S., and say, I think I'm going to go from digital animation artist to full-time musician to healthcare provider. <laughs> um, but I started having complex migraines as a senior in high school few years after my dad passed away and my identical twin brother has never had them uh, and it ended up over the course of the last 20 years I've averaged a full-blown independent migraine once every three to four days about mm-hmm. 100 to 115 a year recovery and headaches between and about two weeks out of the year that are symptom free two total weeks of days 14 to 15 days and my wife and I got married when she was 19 I was 21 and in the first five years of our marriage uh, you know, over the course of about nine years from 17 to 26, uh, first five years of our marriage, 21 to 26, uh, we went to 21, 22 different specialty providers, um, spent nine years trying to search for an answer, finally got diagnosed with what's called a, key, a pretty aggressive Chiari malformation, which is a brain hernia. Uh, the benefits and the, the consequences of being run over by a car when I was eight, oh, two my. concussions in high school and being hit by two drunk drivers before I was 21. So my head and my body had been through some rough spaces. Um, but really the long story short was we found out I had a plumbing issue. I have compression on all four sides of my brain stem that obstructs the flow of CSF fluid into the brain. Uh, or CSF flow into the brain, and I'm pressure washing my brain on a regular basis as a result of that plumbing issue. It's kind of like putting your thumb on top of a hose pipe. Wow. And what ended up happening was no background in neurology, no background in healthcare, a couple years working at a mental hospital in Chattanooga, Tennessee for for a bit, but no intent of being a doctor. Um, But what ended up happening is we went through all of these specialty providers and then arrived at an answer where everybody said, We know what it is, but we don't know what to do with it except for a complex surgery we wouldn't recommend. And you're basically resistant to every pain medication we can give you. So when everything dried up in terms of solutions in a traditional world, went to a lot of alternative providers. And they were incredible at wellness and wholeness and rehab, but really, really rarely, and in my experience, never, found somebody who knew how to take on a complex case from a wellness perspective. So as a patient, I ended up being somebody who stuck between the purgatory of a traditional model great at triage and damage control, 
drugs and surgery, and an alternative community great at wellness and rehab, but no one who knew how to rehab a complex case towards wholeness. Wow. Like, how do you kind of fit the mold if no one really wants to keep seeing you, you keep getting referred? Um, so based on that, I always joke with everybody, the only reason I became a doctor was because I couldn't find a good one, or I couldn't find one that knew how to work on me towards the goal of, of being healthier. Um, so I ended up getting into a degree in chiropractic specifically, um, but then got seven, uh, ended up getting board certified and, and, and board eligible in seven other areas dealing with brain rehab without drugs or surgery, what's known as functional neurology. So it's kind of like if you have functional medicine or integrated medicine, I'm a chiropractor, but I'm trained in neurology and I co-manage most of my patients with uh, brain injury and concussion, concussion specialty MDs. Uh, so I'm the only chiropractor in Atlanta that's board certified in this. It's, it's not very common. Um, but it's my lived experience and my confirmation bias of specifically taking on unresolved complex cases and learning how to fine tune somebody's function no different than a personal trainer would. Right. If you went into the gym and you met with a personal trainer and you were in the best shape possible or the worst shape possible, their goal is to figure out how to effectively help walk you towards a healthier version of yourself without drugs or surgery. I do the same thing, but our modalities are tied to things like balance and vision and sensation and touch and brain function. Uh, no different than a, uh, an orchestra conductor conducting the orchestra and working through, well, is this a string section issue? Is it a percussion issue? Is it a woodwind or a brass? And then once you know the system, you can figure out the instrument. Once you know the instrument, you can fine tune that instrument. And fortunately, the brain is really, really tunable. I mean, neuroplasticity and the capacity to change how we function as human beings is a tangible, relevant, scientifically proven truth at this point. We just get to play in that sandbox and help people do things like walk and talk and think clearly again. Wow. So you're already thinking in terms of complex systems mm -hmm. from a physiological standpoint. Yeah. Um, and let me ask you one quick question before I move on to the Enneagram, sure. but just as a little tidbit, as a thank you to people for listening to the podcast, what's one tip that we could all do every day to help our brains? I think there is nothing more powerful than a single deep breath. And the reason I say that is, uh, especially in Western culture, we're very unfamiliar with embodiment and somatic work. Yeah. Like most people don't realize they're actually in a real body. <laughs> um, but the name of the game is really executive function. If your frontal lobe, your executive function, your ability to think clearly and feel effectively, your emotional intelligence and your intellectual intelligence. If you stop and take a, an intentional single deep breath, not only do most people automatically change their posture, but it causes them to slow down just a touch and it causes them to be present in their body. And what it can do is it can create a domino effect for literally everything else turning on. A single deep breath is like having a crisis that you don't know about and a healthy leader or an effective CEO stepped into the room and became available to the conversation. So a lot of the times folks are asking for really, really complex solutions when there's not even a leadership person present to the conversation. Wow. So I a love single that. a single deep breath is like that. really, really helpful. Well let's let's give our listeners a moment to do that. So let's just do that real quick. Take a deep breath. Lovely. I start all of my therapy sessions like that. It kind of Absolutely. wigs people out on the first session, but then <laughs> after three or four sessions, they always say they look forward to it. Absolutely. So, so I get the medical side of things. How did you connect all of this with the Enneagram? 
Well, you know, the funny thing is I, I, was in, I encountered the Enneagram like most of us have through a really, really, really passive friend. And by that I mean unrelenting friend <laughs> <laughs> who knew. He said, I have no idea why this is important for you. But I feel like this is important for you. And fortunately, thanks to his tenacity, um, he shared an audio recording of about 10 hours of Richard Rohr going through the types. I'd never even read about the Enneagram, hadn't seen it, had no lineage, no bias, no background. But when he was going through it and explaining it, I said, you know, this sounds a lot like basic brain function. And the more he keeps mm -hmm. talking about the three, tri the three triads and the three intelligence centers, you know, as a functional neurologist, we're taught how the right brain, left brain, and the brainstem all intersect to give you the basics of literally every function as a human being. You need all three of them to intersect. Unique and distinct, but not separate, right? right? Um, so when I'm listening to this, I go, man, this sounds a lot like basic brain function. So I do what anybody else who's studying neuroscience does. You Google if there's any neuroscience on it. <laughs> and I'm Googling it, and Google keeps auto-correcting the spelling and correcting the combination of words that I'm trying to put in and nothing is coming up at uh -huh. all. And when you Google something and nothing comes up on Google, I even have screenshots where there's only three results and the three results were completely irrelevant. Like wow. they're not even context appropriate. So when I'm looking at this going, well, this is strange. There's nothing that says how this works in the brain. And then I start looking. There's no neuropsychology resources. There's no neuroscience resources. There's no brain-based perspective. So what I ended up doing was I listen to the audio recordings. I do a couple of Google searches. Nothing comes up. So I ended up getting The Wisdom of the Enneagram by Hudson and Riso. Um, and the very first time I saw the symbol, the very first time, it's like this weird, surreal, matrix kind of experience. It's like I learned Kung Fu. Um, <laughs> is I looked at the, the symbol and I said, I think this is inverted. It should be flipped vertically. Because if I leave it in this orientation, the brain's going to be upside down. So what I did was I flipped it 180 on, on, the, on the vertical and just rotated it down. So the gut triad's at the bottom, the head's on the left, and the heart is on the right. And overlaid some really basic structures of the brain, like the left brain, the right brain, the brainstem. Put some keywords on there. And over the course of about four hours, filled out this piece of paper with tons of neurophysiology and neuropsychology terms on top of the Enneagram. And my introduction to the Enneagram was having this immediate, spontaneous synergy of information from my neurology background and my chiropractic background and my personal spiritual background um, to automatically say, if I want to use the Enneagram, I have to overlay the brain, the normal structures of a human brain on top of the entire Enneagram. So it can't be number specific. Mm -hmm. It has to be all nine numbers simultaneously interacting with each other like a new, normal human experience. Uh, in neuroscience, they call it a connectome, where everything's kind of like looking at a city pattern of traffic and going, if we're living in Atlanta and far north, you know, somebody has an accident, can it impact everything in downtown or vice versa? So you may not be present to that space, but you're impacted by someone else somewhere else. Exactly. Um, and yeah. saying the same thing with, I didn't, fortunately, didn't go into the Enneagram with a bias that it's a single system or a single number system. Same way in the clinical world, when I meet with a patient, I assume that they're allowed to have more than one problem. <laughs> and they are, all of us are allowed to have more than one problem. And we're also allowed to have more than one solution. But oftentimes that's because as a clinician, I specialize in people who've had my history 
20 plus specialists and all of the specialists know how to treat the particular organ or system that they're trained in mm -hmm. but nobody evaluates the entire person to go how do all of these systems intersect and interact and possibly interfere with each other and if I look at you as a whole person from head to foot, mental, emotional, physical, relational, spiritual well-being together, collectively, do I have a higher probability of figuring out what's going on with you and resourcing you if I see you as a complex orchestra versus an individual instrument having a bad day? So yeah. it ended up being that exposure to, just really simply put, I put the brain on top of the Enneagram saw it was upside down, rotated it vertically, or flipped it vertically. Um, and the last nine and a half years has been trying to say, is this crazy or is this possible? <laughs> <laughs> and does the actual function of who we are as a human being become more comprehensive and do the resources become more relevant once we understand how the system properly works yeah so trying to reverse engineer that idea well and it sounds like the feedback that you've gotten from everyone that's come across it has been two thumbs way up yeah um it was exciting when richard Rohr was um talking about yours as he's helping people understand the enneagram in general and saying okay now here's the cutting edge right? yeah and here's here's what uh here's what people are doing with this and you want to talk about surreal <laughs> and it's like <laughs> i i get into introduced to it 10 years ago listening to an audio recording which is the first time I'd ever heard Father Richard's voice and now 10 years later he's sharing my work through his email I'm just like this this very efficient strong two heart is overwhelmed that is yeah. for sure yeah so yeah um, and just real quick for our listeners that may not know the Enneagram we're kind of presuming that most people do but it is if somebody else were to describe it they might describe it as a number system where you are one of these numbers based on certain characteristics and so i just want to bounce that off of you because you're saying you're not a number we're looking at more holistically and so the phrase that you use in the book um, which i thought was intriguing is the neuropsychology of identity yeah so tell us a little bit more about that sure so the my definition for identity is that you are a sum total of every good and every bad thing that has ever happened to you, including your genetics and how you came into the world. So, you know, we've had these old adages of, is it nurture or nature? Mm -hmm. It's actually nurture and nature and discipline-based conditioning. All of those things collectively make you not only who you are genetically, but how your, gen your genes express and change based on environment that's epigenetics. And then also, what protocols and, and plans and processes do you reinforce as a person, right? So when we look at the Enneagram as a single number system, as a personality type, that would be like saying, even simply put, I live in Atlanta, but I don't go to the outskirts of Atlanta. There are no other towns. Or I live in Atlanta, and I don't even know that there are other cities in the U.S. Or even bigger, I live in the U.S., and I don't even know that there are other countries or other continents. Right. So I always tell people, you know, when, when you look at the Enneagram, first off, you know, for anybody who um, comes from different spaces, there are lots of, lots of different approaches. The Enneagram is no different than healthcare with its different differentiations or spiritual spaces with its doctrines and dogmas or, you know, clinical practices where there's their own techniques. Everybody's got a way of doing it. Um, and a lot of people are very, very... Um, confident that their way is the right <laughs> way um but what i always explain to everybody is that whether you take an approach of doing motivation-based uh typing with helping people figure out their type based on motivation or somebody uses a test to help take a test and evaluate kind of what your preference is the 
the analogy that I use is the most effective clinicians never make a diagnosis off of one piece of data. Mm -hmm. What they do is take really good diagnostics, like information from the exams. They apply that to a practical exam. They apply that to a case history with somebody that's motivational interviewing to understand what somebody's goals are. And they collectively synergize not only the tests and the diagnostics with their exam, with their case history, with everybody's goals. All of that collectively goes, well, what makes this person who they are? So when looking at the Enneagram, you know, the neuropsychology is to say, okay, your personality type that you're most efficient in is a survival strategy, and so is everything else. So mm -hmm. when we encounter in the world, you can often look at somebody's type and go, that type showed up for you because your brain and your lived experience and your bias has said, if you respond or perform or react in that particular way, especially subconsciously, does it give you a higher probability of survive of survival? Is it built to protect you? Yeah, absolutely. These are all defense mechanisms or survival mechanisms. But when there is no threat, which version of you shows up? When you are safe, which version of you shows up? When you're doing self-medication versus self-gratification versus self-soothing, which version of you shows up? Mm -hmm. But looking at it and going, one number is one aspect of your identity. But your identity is comprised of all of the areas in the Enneagram, especially if you look at it as a whole brain functioning collectively. So I can't say even if I am, I'm originally from South Africa, I am a South African, but I live in Atlanta. I no longer live in South Africa. So what caused that shift? What caused that change? I think a lot of the challenge in the Enneagram world sometimes is they say your number cannot change. And anybody who says that has never worked with brain injury patients. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a significant enough brain injury, the field of neuropsychology was birthed based on a head injury by a guy named Phineas Gage, who was a railroad, railroad worker who had a brain injury due to a, a, a steel piece of rebar going through his skull and impacting the part of his brain that did, de dealt with impulse control. And he became a Jekyll and a Hyde sort of person. Structurally, his brain was damaged and his personality changed. He woke up a different person. Mm. So if we know that a brain injury can change your personality, and we know that it doesn't necessarily, now the science is showing, it doesn't require a physical impact for your brain to have post-concussion-like symptoms. Like you can react like you've had a head trauma based off of grief, based off of somebody dying, based off of losing a job, based off of getting a diagnosis. So are we predisposed to certain things? Sure. But to say that our environment is not malleable means that we don't understand if the situation is significant enough and our body calls for it, we can change our survival strategies. Right. So it's trying to help understand that we are not, the idea of being in a fixed state and a simple person is really, really, really old science. And the new science goes, the more complex we are, the more ca capacity for change we have. And it was also helpful for the sake of brevity to say this, moving away from people being type descriptions and titles, so they over-identify with a number, to what is the motivation and the value that you pursue in order to increase your chances of survival. Like moving away from an eight being a challenger to saying, based on your lifetime of lived experiences and your physiology, your strategy says, if I disrupt a space and I'm a first mover and I end up being a stronger force in the space that I'm in, I have a higher probability of survival. Or as mm -hmm. a five, if I withdraw, gather information, understand what to do next, and then engage, does that give me a higher probability of survival? That doesn't make me an observer. That makes me somebody gifted in observation. 
so it turns it into a skill set rather than a job title yeah so trying to help with that and say just because you're you're high in seven energy and you're hyper enthusiastic doesn't mean that you're not capable of being a four and being compassionate and being able to exercise the capacity to authentically relate with people you know that's not authentic relating is not exclusive to someone who's a four on the enneagram that's a human experience unconditionally loving someone is not exclusive to a two that's a human experience right, right, right. so moving not only the psychology of how we interact but also trying to evidence that these things if they're true about how we interact as a person we should be able to connect the dots not only from an actual anatomy standpoint structurally but from a functional standpoint in terms of how we integrate and how we utilize those spaces. Yeah, that's really exciting. And that was one of the things that I loved about the book was you're sort of relanguaging that and, you know, making this paradigm shift. Um, the, the quote that I wanted to bring forth, which is just sort of a summary of what you just said, is that you are not one thing. You are complex and multifaceted. You are interconnected. And this is a vital paradigm shift. So... Um, so changing the language around that in yeah. as well as the entire structural shift was really exciting for me yeah. because it was a it was a good first um, introduction to think of oh you know I'm this number sure but then to to go to the next level and go but but you're not <laughs> I mean you're not just you're not sure. just it's sure. it's it's uh, it's so much more complex than that. Well, one of the things that I think people will learn when they come to the workshop is, you know, we've talked about this conceptually, and um, what I didn't want to talk about, because we'll save that for people who want to come in person or people who want to read the book, is, okay, so how exactly do I apply this? Yeah. I know the Enneagram. Um, hopefully, I've taken the READY test, the R-H-E-T-I test at the mm-hmm. Enneagram Institute. It's EnneagramInstitute.com, right? Yes, ma'am. Um, so I, I know my numbers. Yeah. I know the order of uh, what my strengths are or what my go-to is. Yeah. And so what you're going to do with us in person is to sit us down and help us know what to do with that in order to understand our entire identity. Is that a fair way to say that? Yeah, absolutely. And be able to, to show you that there are certain things that based on a lifetime of lived experiences you are prioritizing. Yeah. And moving towards that you're efficient in for the sake that they help you to feel safe. And there are some things that are either unsafe or unrewarding. And as a result, you don't invest the time and energy in them the same way. It doesn't mean you don't have access to them and you don't have capacity. You just don't have utilization in the same way. Yeah. So it's a case of taking the language off the table of saying, I can't because, or you do because, yeah. and saying, what's my relative relationship to that space? Because it's innately in me. It doesn't mean that I engage in it. And in fact, sometimes it may mean that I struggle to disengage from yeah. it. So yeah. helping to kind of frame that out a little bit and going, if I knew that there were nine core motivations and a lot of strategies around that, and I realized some things are really important and some things aren't, especially in the world that you work in, in terms of direction and counseling and connecting people to a healthier version of themselves be being in a space where you can increase your self-awareness and your personal relative relationship with a word or an environment that reproduces that type of Mm -hmm. experience uh, can help you to really reevaluate man am i 
am I having a struggle with this particular place because of a lived experience that hasn't reoccurred in 30 years? Right. And I've got survival strategies and attachment styles and take all of this new language around the psychology that we're understanding and going, man, I'm executing strategies that my subconscious has asked for for decades that are no longer important and no longer necessary. So having those conversations is helpful. Right, and especially like you said, in for people who have struggles with attachment and trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, I loved how you pointed out in the book, you say that 95 to 97% of our identity is formed at a subconscious level, Yeah. right? And then it's just a matter of the intensity, the duration, the frequency of whatever those experiences would be, positive and negative. Yeah, both. Um, but that really speaks to trauma mm-hmm. and, and early childhood experiences like attachment wounding. and Absolutely. Um, so that this has, it has such power. Yeah. It has such power to heal people. And so I really want to encourage people to come out. Um, I have had the great opportunity of sitting with you on more than one occasion and learning from you. I think not only is this an amazing idea that you're sharing, but you're also a fantastic teacher. Knowing how our (laughs) brains work as learners, um, you really do your best to uh, keep people engaged. And I just, I I know it's... uh, it's going to be a delight for anybody that comes out. That'd be awesome. Uh, any last words to kind of summarize that or, or help us know what to expect? No, I think, you know, probably the, the biggest thing that I would say is, you know, as with anything in, in personal development work, whether it be a personality type test or it be spiritual direction or it be increased self-awareness and, and, and self-growth, um, you know, every single thing that we look at it around neuropsychology and our own identity, it's really helpful to remember everything is skills-based. Mm-hmm. And we don't come out of the womb with self-awareness. In fact, when we come out of the womb, we don't even know that we have hands and feet. Right. <laughs> you know, it's, a very, it's a very reactionary, reflexive kind of space. So the thing that I would encourage everybody with is that whatever stage and state you are at... As you start to learn this information, don't feel overwhelmed that you don't know exactly how to apply it. And oftentimes people will get intimidated that now it feels like you've got to learn more. Well, <laughs> the reality is there are, no, there are no people that I know that effectively rode a bicycle the very first time they got on it. And there's nobody that went into the gym and effectively built stamina and strength in their muscles that they exercised on the first attempt. So as we start to discover more and more about who we are, the one phrase that's in the book that I'll say now and I'll repeat again at the workshop is, this is not about being less broken. It's about becoming more whole and understanding that we have the capacity for these things. And as we discover more ways to engage our natural capacity, that is no different than realizing, oh my gosh, I have a lot of muscles in my arms that are different than my legs and they each serve a purpose. I want to be healthy and strong in all of them. This is a chance to do that. So don't be intimidated by what feels like complicated spaces. I think it's an opportunity to respect and and really be in awe of how complex we are made. And the more that we know about how we are made, the more we can understand how to utilize that effectively for a really healthy long-term impact. So being encouraged that more information is actually a good thing. (laughs) And that's coming from somebody who's lowest in a five, because everybody thinks of my work that I'm a five. Five is my lowest number, and if you come to the Isn't workshop, that if you come to the workshop, I will explain to you exactly why that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a very high five. Yeah. that's that's one of my go-tos. So I just love it. Like, yeah, give me yeah, more data. <laughs> exactly. So it's good stuff. 
Okay. Well, thanks again, Jerome. My pleasure. And let me encourage people to go to our website, website, which is zgatl.org. And right there on the front page, you can connect to more information. Um, We're going to be meeting on Saturday, April 4th, 930 to 330. And you can pick up a copy of the book and get it signed and learn a whole lot more from Dr. Jerome Leva. Thanks, and we'll see you there. Thanks so much.